1: Rebel Podcast,
2: Elder P, P Nate, and in the studio again, backed by popular demand, <laughs> the, the Cedars of Lebanon himself. He's here. He's here. He's gonna flip some tables again. Aaron Bay. Can I uh, very quick quick
1: intro before we get started? You know, what's one of the things I love about people? We've talked about this before. Those like. Traits that don't seem compatible with somebody, yeah. yeah. So, like the fact like that I'm city
2: can, boy who's like a, a secret outdoorsman, yes. And like, like the, yeah, I, yeah. the fact
1: that like I'm a kind of overweight, like beardy kind of gun guy, and then but yeah, then I can sing. It's like those, these things don't make a right. lot of, make a lot of sense. Aaron is the walking depiction of this though, because he's like kind of spindly looking, he's kind of like he's <laughs> oh, wow, like, wow. Like, like you know, clean, cap, proper, proper dressed, but he's fiery, yeah. Like, yeah, he like, throws like, down, like you're talking about like. Remember fire and brimstone preachers? Oh yeah! Like yeah. I could see at one time Aaron just getting up and being like, like yeah, just sinners in the <laughs> hands of angry <amazing laughs> gods exactly style. Where
2: like, going, yeah, like, yeah. Just yeah like you're on a thread um, like hanging so above
0: hell itself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but do it all with a smile and love. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right, yeah, that's right. That's yeah, yeah. right. Yeah.
2: That's
1: what. That's what I love yeah. about it. No, that's fair. Um,
0: that's fair. fair. Well, I hope it's the Holy Spirit and not my own fleshly. You know, mine. No, no. It's no, no, Holy no. Spirit fire. It's Cedars well, of Lebanon fire. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. It, it's funny has, uh, <laughs> stabbing the guy in front of Moses. Yeah,
1: right? that's you yeah. right. Here we go. In our discipleship, this is why we always get a kick, like, because, like, I'm a fiery guy. You know what I mean? Jordan's definitely I wouldn't mess with you, Chris. Thank you for that, Aaron. Uh, mostly because I weigh about 200 pounds. <laughs> uh, but, like, we'll be, like, chatting, and all of a sudden, you'll just flip the switch, for, like, and then I wrote him a letter and yeah. called for him to repent. Be like, oh, man, Aaron, I love it. And, yeah. Uh, quite, yeah, I get quite a kick out of you, Cedars. Um, Cedars.
2: So. Yeah, so we're the Rebels. We're back in the studio. Check us out on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network. Uh, thankful for those guys. Uh, I believe the plan is that we'll be at the Ark Encounter at their uh, their conference uh, this coming year. That's the plan. Lord willing. Yeah, I mean, we haven't been able to be at the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference the last two years because government mandates have not allowed us to get out of our own country. But anyway, I... Apparently May, though, they're dropping that. Well, That's yes, what they they've, they've said that before. We're we'll, Up we'll next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, we actually just want to jump right back into this conversation. So last week's episode was about Take It Back. We were talking about the areas of responsibility that God has delegated to the church and to the family and to the individual, including welfare, health care, elderly care, education, all of these various things. I guess uh, the episode, I would say, like we, we end up talking about the problem a lot. So now what we want to do is kind of talk about the solution. And, and last week's episode kind of ended with this hanging question that Aaron asked is, number one, what would you say to the individual who's stuck in the system? And then we want to take that and, and add another question to that is, is, what does it look like for Christians to begin to take this back, right? So let's start with the, uh, the question that was was left hanging last week. What do you say to the individual who is perhaps on welfare, on disability, whatever? And we do want to make some caveats, right? We were speaking in in broad generalizations last week. There are people who, because of disabilities, they need to be helped. And, And we actually think that that's one of the blessings of the gospel fruitfulness in the world. It used to be that if you were lame, your only option was to get friends to carry you to a healer or you would sit outside a place like the synagogue where hopefully pious people were walking who would be generous to you. And that was your only option. Well, now we actually do have governments who look out for those individuals, and I actually think that could be a blessing as long as it's not inflated with the way our government currently does welfare. I I still think that's something that should be done through the church, we don't want to confuse those who legitimately, because of the blessings of God and the, the taking root of the gospel, have enjoyed the blessings of it. It's actually one
1: of those like caveats that we say, but like Experientially, most people who are, have like some sort of disability or mental, physical, they're not really the people we're talking about anyway. Cause generally like in my experience, they're actually trying to do everything they can to make these things work. We're talking about the, the lazy Jack who lives in his parents' basement until he's 29. You know what I mean? Learns how to like uh, lazy jackal probably get yeah. And in it's trouble not just sure. to welfare; it's um, also limited
0: to EI as well, right? Yeah, yeah just work all, a season and not work games. the rest yeah. of the season. Like
1: people who basically, and I, we we've all worked with somebody like this who works harder to find ways to not work than work. And so it's like and like there's, there's people who <laughs> seriously, ma- seriously, there's yeah. there's people who make a career of like living on the dole play in the system, even people who are like struggling, but not really trying to get out of it. You know what I mean? So like, I, I, that's the caveat I want to make. Like, we're actually talking about those people, not the people yeah. who are like legitimately, oh, I was in the warm. I yeah. lost my leg.
2: And we're not, we're free, not talking you know to the I mean? single moms like, who mm-hmm. who, no, no, who, who had a, a husband who buggered off and left them with four kids right. and who has to live in a, in a yeah, housing. That's yeah. something we're talking about. But we do know. And oftentimes, and I would just say this, like a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times the people who get most defensive about some of the blanket statements we make are people who actually have had their conscience pricked a little bit. And so I would just say, like, if you're upset by things that we say. Before you write an angry email, maybe stop and think: Is this conviction of the spirit, or am I upset with what they've said because I have a legitimate reason to, to be Man, upset? And we, we could yeah. be wrong, right? There's always a
0: degree of, course, of error in yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, but if
1: you are going to write that email, it's Aaron at Crossroads. Oh. <laughs> um, sorry. Um,
2: He's not here, yeah. so that's uh, Jordan. <laughs> so here's what I would say to the person, like you said, Aaron, who who maybe feels stuck in the system. I would say that first and foremost. You need to get your life right with God. And that's not mm-hmm. to say that it isn't currently, but I'm saying God says to Ahaz in Isaiah 7, if you aren't firm in faith, you won't be firm at all, mm. right? There's there's no area of your life where that will be of strength if your faith is not strong first. So get your life right with God, which includes get to a Bible-believing church, get surrounded by good uh, godly men who will challenge you, and in that level of accountability, share with somebody that you want to get out of this, that you want to get out of the trap of, of being on, on government assistance or whatever the case is. So there are people around you who can help. If your church is disinterested in helping you with something like that, then they don't understand spiritual care. And I think that's, that's one criticism I would have of many churches is they, they seem to care about the soul of individuals, but not the rest of the individuals. As ministers of the gospel, we ought to care about people's employment, their physical health, their mental health, their emotional health, and their spiritual health. And all those things are wrapped together because man is both material and immaterial joined together. So get around godly people, get into a good community, and vocalize your desire to get out from the system. And honestly, I would be looking for Christian employers people Uh who run businesses, entrepreneurs. And I don't care if you are not a painter. I don't care if you are not a drywaller. I would just be going and saying, can you hire me? And to be honest with you, I would even say, can you hire me? I'm willing to work for minimum wage. I'm willing to work for less than minimum wage. Like just come in and let me work and then just show your value. Like we have people who are just fighting for incremental raises in terms of minimum wage. I would say, go in, be willing to work for free, be willing to work a little bit, show people your value and show your hard work and just work for somebody, a godly person and begin to show your value and begin to work your way up. I don't know one business owner, if there was a good level-headed individual came up to them and said, hey, I'll work for half of whatever you'd pay a regular worker for three weeks. I just asked that after those three weeks, you would examine my work and then let's talk about it. Who wouldn't take them up on that?
0: Yeah. In our culture, people believe, oh, that's beneath me, right? I, I should not be washing toilets. I should not be washing urinals or flipping burgers or something. And I remember one time I was sitting behind my desk as a caseworker and this individual comes to me, he's only uh, in his early twenties and he has a degree in uh, finance and he was like, I can't get a job. He's like, they're not paying enough. And he was complaining about, you know, a false system. And the reality was that he had no work experience. He wasn't starting somewhere. So it was a risk for anybody to hire him. Yep. And uh, eventually he, he uh, had an employment offer at a Toyota uh, dealership in, uh, in the city. And he's like, well, I can't take this job because it's only paying me 18 bucks an hour or something like reasonable at the time. And I said, do you realize you have a degree? Yes, but you have to show your, your worth. Right. And people are, they don't believe that God can work through them to be a good employee and and actually be advanced. And they want to make, you know, the six figure salary, but they don't realize it takes time to get there. And then you see other people's wealth. It's like, well, I don't have that. So so therefore something's wrong with the system. And it creates a whole flawed mentality. And then poor me, you sulk. And then you end up, you know, back in a sorrowful state. Yeah, absolutely. It's, It's
1: funny. There's this, there's a, there's just this inbred culture of entitlement that our society has of like, I have a degree, therefore I should get a $100,000 or $200,000 salary automatically. Yep. But like no other facet of life does that work that way. Like I can't, I didn't wake up one day and decide I could tie a tie. You know what I, mean? I how to learn and practice learning how to tie Are you, a tie. you at your mirror? <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I still can't do it for the record. <laughs> um, YouTube does not help. But, uh, but like, backwards. Even like even like sports where like you think about it, before you get to the NFL, you've played probably pee wee football. You played high school football. You've played college football, free, free, free learning the trade and now you're and now you're able to be paid and now you're you' even your rookie contract isn't what you're gonna make once you've proven that you can do the job at the level that right. the and like that's a high level view because very few people can actually get to it. but like we have people like you're the gentleman you're you're talking about who wake up and be like I have a piece of paper so therefore I should make and it's like no no other profession works this way even plumbers who make good livings have to go through their apprenticeship before they get we've we've lost the idea of like, the skill is the more important thing. But but
0: even to get a massive government loan to get a degree is already a form of welfare. That's so bad, right? Like education should not be free, right? You should not just be giving people massive degrees, putting them in, you know, thousands of dollars of debt and now expecting them to pay that off at McDonald's, right? Obviously that's not the case for everyone, but you think of the, the social sciences, for example, how a lot of people fall into that, you know, Gender studies, or you know, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, or, so, or
1: like say somebody who's taken English as a degree, yeah,
2: yeah, or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah literature chris get <laughs> cultured
0: <laughs> there's a low standard of acceptance to universities yeah. right because they want the income from the government and yeah. that's what's happened. you have people that are highly educated but they're actually not educated they're indoctrinated in a marxist system so they come out with expectations that are it doesn't meet reality yeah so, so they're, totally. they're at a loss from the yeah. get-go
2: this actually sort of gets into so you know not only have we taken swipes at healthcare, care welfare elderly care yeah. Uh, public education. So now we're getting into university institutions. I do. I, I think that our, the system has lied to us. I grew up in that generation where we had the guidance counselors come to our high school every, every you know, couple weeks and tell us, you know, hey, you just get a degree and everything's going to work out fine. And, and we all graduated with $50,000 in debt and, and a, you know, gender studies degree on, hanging on the wall or whatever, which trained us, going back to Chris's point, for nothing in the real world. Yeah. I think that this is a lie as well. So I want to switch gears here. And and we'll answer some of those questions, but I want to switch gears here and say, okay, how can the church begin to take these things back? Mm. Because it's one thing for us to sit and moan and complain about how things are if we don't have solutions for how to get there. So how is the church going to take these things back? What's our solution, Chris?
1: I think it's multifaceted. Yep. First, it takes men taking responsibility. That's, that's, let's presuppose that from now that people are doing the right things in the church. But the first way we take this back is, is discipleship. So you are a plumber in the church. I keep picking on plumbers, electrician in the church, some, (laughs) some other profession, own a business, whatever it is, build it up, be ambitious, try to make it a big business, try to do well, not to, not to further your own cause, but to further your kids cause so that they can take over that business.
2: The the Bible commands fathers to build an inheritance to leave to further children.
1: Exactly. We're in the empire business all the way across the board, right? right? Build up that household economy, whatever it is, hire people in the church to work there, make a Christian business so that there is the man who didn't have the father figure that like we didn't, right? Yep. Who can also take us under the wing and give us the skills we need to make our own business. That's one way I would say. The other way I would say is start being people who pass on our skills. So, we're taking ourselves off the system in terms of how we train up pastors at our church. Yeah. We're not going to seminary. We're working to get these things in house. So I think we need to start bringing these things back in house. Jordan says this all the time. like, very nicely in context, don't go to school for that. Come work for me. You'll be way ahead of where you are in school. So
2: Yeah, and so you said something there that's just, I want to make this episode really, really practical for people. And and you might be at a church that's doing some of this stuff, and and maybe we'll give you some ideas on how to do it, and maybe you're at a church that's not doing any of this stuff, in which case you need to ask the question, are they willing to do some of this stuff? Because I, I think this is how the church begins to take things back. So first answer is, how can Christians take these things back Individually, you can't. It has to happen at a church level. And there's strength in numbers. There's strength in community, stronger resources, all that kind of stuff. So first and foremost, you can't do this individually. You need a church family in order to do this. Second thing is, is you need to get out of the world's system. Right, So uh, I just preached on, uh, on Mark 10, uh, where Jesus chastises the disciples for pursuing greatness in the same way as the world. Right, That's where he says, you know, those who are great among you, uh, uh, the Gentiles, lord it over you. But it shall not be so among you. In my system, in my kingdom, whoever wants to be great must be last, must be a servant. And so God's economy, God's system works differently. So the first thing we have to do is sort of unplug from the world's system. So if you've got young kids, that starts with get them out of the government. Government schools. That's step one. Get your kids out of the government schools. We're big advocates for homeschooling here, whether that's Christian education or whether that's homeschooling. Get your kids out of public system. Now, first question you should ask. I'm a pastor. I say this from the pulpit. I say these. I say, get your kids out of public school from the pulpit. I don't dance around it. I don't, I don't try to not offend those who have kids in the public system. I just say it because I think the Bible is very clear. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Proverbs 22 verse 6, Ephesians 6 verse 2. It's very clear the primary responsibility for educating and discipling children falls on the parents. Luke, uh, what is it, seven, Chris? Uh, A disciple when fully trained will be like his Teacher. teacher, right? So unless you want your kids to become trannies like all of the public school teachers are, or many of them are, don't send your kids there. But now the question becomes, what about that single mom? What about those people who are lower income? How can they afford to either not have one of the spouses work? How can the single mom not go to work? How can she home educate her kids? All that kind of stuff. So that's where the church comes in. If the pastor is saying from the pulpit that the biblical form of education is parent-directed education, that pastor and the elders that support him are responsible to help make sure that every single mom in their congregation can do so.
1: Yeah. We can't fall into the same trap that we accuse the world of, of, of virtue signaling.
2: Exactly. So
1: when we virtue signal and we say that, get your kids out of public school, we have to then provide the solution to do so. You might be listening to this podcast right now and be like, well, we have nothing in place. And I just said that on Sunday, you know what I mean? Like work towards it. Mm-hmm. One of the great things I would say, and this is, again, I'm tuning our, our churches on, but one of the great things I think about our church is that when we identify a problem, somebody just seems to like, here's a solution and we do it. Like we had seating problems. All of a sudden chair showed up. We had,
0: Space
2: issues. Like holes were cut in walls. Holes
1: literally were <laughs> cut in walls. Like just take a step. People are very forgiving of you trying something and not succeeding.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What people aren't forgiving for is inaction that leads to a decision. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? So like take steps. God blesses obedience. Yeah, like that's right. what's that book, uh Thanny? We talk about this all the time. Just, just do just, something. Yeah, just do something. know what something mean? Yeah, Kevin DeYoung. I think that's what Christian men need to start doing. Oh, I, I need yeah. to get my or sorry single mom, I need to get my kids in Christian school just Do something. Call homeschool in person and be like, "Can I drop my kids off and pay you?" Like,
2: hundred percent. This is it, right? So, how many retired teachers are in your church, right? Is there a retired public school teacher who maybe even left, maybe early retired, but did they retire partially? And let's be honest, they probably have a fairly good pension if they retired as a teacher in Ontario. So they might not need a full income, but yeah, single moms or those who can't do it themselves for whatever reason. Go to your church leadership. Are there retired teachers in our church? Is there somebody who can come and homeschool my kids maybe two days a week? Can we do some pod learning? Can we do glow groups? Can we do these sorts of things? Can we rent out rooms in the church where one teacher teaches three different kids from three different families, these sorts of things? There are these kinds of solutions. Start there, yeah. and who knows what will happen. That teacher who takes on you know six students over three different families because three different families can't homeschool their own kids, but they hire this one teacher... Maybe the church can subsidize some of that wage if they can't meet it themselves. Maybe there's one family who can afford it and pays for the teacher, even though the teacher's capacity allows them to do other families who can't afford it. There's all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Homeschool co-ops, all of this stuff.
1: Healthy churches often are able to meet the needs that are out there, but the problem is we've gotten to such a situation in our culture where people don't even share what the need is. So like, for instance, that that, uh, single mom who is now convicted and wants her kids out of public school, we might not know it. So like hey, as church yeah. leaders, we just might not know that that's a desire that they have, but like the church might be able to fulfill that. And our role sometimes as pastors, as, as people who are responsible is to help them with the solution, but I might not know there's a need there. So like bring that to us, bring that to your elders and, and say, you've said this and now I want to do this. We can help, help try them. to find that. Yeah. Find, it might be like, cause God often does these things where he's like, the solution to the problem might be you. Yeah. So like, it might be actually, you should quit your job. And we have all these other single moms who are now bringing their kids to you, and we're gonna either help you in ways with groceries or whatever, or or simply like, there's a great idea to start a Christian school, and you're now you're now teacher number one.
0: Yeah, Christy mentioned a really good word. And you said take a step, and that is very important. People have to take a leap of faith. They're mm-hmm. so afraid to take a step forward. It's like, well, I, I can't take my kids out of school or I can't do this and that because, you know, I won't have the resources to continue. They don't realize God wants us to be courageous, to be bold, to take a step in faith yep. and watch God act. Like, you know, when you read yeah, Colossians one, 15 to 17, like we consist, we have our being in Christ meaning everything that happens is within the power and hands of God, yep. right? So it's within his providence. So if, if you know that your kids are being hurt at the public school system or you know that our welfare system is hurting you, there's nothing wrong with taking a leap of faith to so say, I'm, I'm going I'm yep. to do something different. I'm going to change. Even a young guy, like we mentioned, like this stereotypical young guy in his basement, Playing video games or whatever, he can literally throw that all in the dumpster bin, every bit of it, get out of the basement, and there's a whole country, there's a whole world to explore, to do things, to do great things. We're not limited to our room. And you think of how the city of Toronto, for example, says, oh, we need to have more social housing, and they're cramming people in. They're now racking up a deficit for putting uh, migrants, uh, and I love migrants, my dad's a refugee, so I'm not being pejorative here, but building up homes within the city of Toronto that already has a very high density population. Why don't you tell people, go, go move. It's a huge country. Canada's a massive place. There's huge opportunity and people are terrified of taking a step, a leap of faith to do something great. They don't wanna sit down for an hour with nothing in front of them, except the word of God and prayer and and look at, well, maybe God has something great for me. I could start a new business. I can move over here. I can do something. And there's a lot of fear gripping people. And, And the worst part is when we see the fear, of course, coming from the heads in churches.
2: Totally. Totally.
0: So, as you can see, like if you're thinking
2: about things communally, right, church wide, as opposed to individually, some of these things become clearer than others. And it does take a leap of faith and it does take some thinking. This all came about because we're talking about getting off the government system, like get out of the system. Other ways you can get out of the system is honestly just encourage. Like we live in a culture now where it's sort of like your parents get to the age where they can't live on their own. Right. They need some round the clock care or whatever. And so we start looking for a government facility that we can afford to send them to wrong way of thinking, right? What does the world say? The world actually says that they're your responsibility now, right? Like, yeah, absolutely honor them. And so bring them into your home. Oh, but you know, pastor Nate, I don't have enough room in my house. I don't have a granny suite. Okay, Okay. Fair enough. But is there somebody in the church who can maybe help you augment your house? Is there somebody who can do the work in the, in the church? You might not have to get a contractor in to, to do a bunch of stuff. They can come in and, and make your house suitable for that. But oftentimes, whether it's we don't want to sacrifice the second income to educate yeah. at home, we don't want to sacrifice you know my free time to have my mother-in-law or my mother live with us, we're not willing to sacrifice those things. And therefore, it's much easier. It's easier to just give our elderly loved ones to the state. Let the yeah, state. And, and Jesus
0: rebuked the uh, soldiers for to be content with their wages, right? Like yeah. we have to have a degree of contentment, even if we have nothing or very little, yeah. to be thankful for just the clothing and food we have. Because ultimately, this is a very short life. It's a test before we enter eternity. Yeah. And then to really trust in God's providence—that you can make mistakes, you can make decisions that even if they're wrong because of your error or ignorance, God will help you through that, yeah. you know, to, to do better, not to sin, yeah. of course, but to, you know, try different things. And and even, even directly related, Jesus
2: also rebukes, you're right about that rebuke, Jesus rebuked a lot of people. <laughs> he also <laughs> rebuked the Pharisees for dishonoring their mother and father by declaring everything that they had Corban, right? And that means, you know, it belongs to God. Mm-hmm. And what he was chastising the Pharisees for was this pious attitude that, oh, all that I have is there to serve God, therefore I can't actually help you in your old age. And so he's actually saying, like, you say that that belongs to God, but if it truly belongs to God, you should use it the way that God told you to, and that is to honor your father and your mother and to bring them into your home and all that kind of stuff. So so Jesus actually directly chastised the Pharisees for things that we do now, there's another example we think through we've talked about university debt and things like that. Like, why are we as churches encouraging our kids to go off and get those university degrees? There might be certain things, skilled trades that people have to go in for a, a that, license that, that currently let them Ar- we can't Ar- architecture. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. But for those who are going for a career in video editing or digital marketing or drywalling or plumbing or, you know, I mean, yes, you, there's some there's, there's for things li, there's like plumbing There's a difference between and licensing, and yeah, yeah, there's like, li- yeah. licensing, but so. that's different from schooling, right? Absolutely. If we had a church atmosphere where we knew we were educating all our own kids so by the time they were reaching 15 16 years old we saw their their proclivities their interests and we started to say oh this guy really look works with his hands he's 16 years old he's part of our our homeschooling co-op or our classical christian school let's find some tradesmen in the church who can take him for two weeks of drywalling and two weeks of mudding and two weeks of painting and two weeks of electrical work and two weeks of plumbing and see where his interest levels lie and then he might find out hey you know what I, i actually really like plumbing i like the problems solving of this i like figuring that stuff out and suddenly he goes on as an apprentice to somebody within the church he never has to go to school and rack up massive debts same thing with digital marketing same thing with a lot of these these things and i think we're doing our kids a disservice when we are are sending them off to accumulate fifty thousand dollars of state debt right like they're instantly becoming slaves to the system Instead of taking that responsibility ourselves, this goes back to what you were saying, Chris, is like when we talk about men taking responsibility, we're not just talking about your for your wife and kids. Yes, for them as well. But we're talking about for your kids, education, for also the other kids in the church, for the kids of the single moms within the church. So all of this comes down to how strong the community of the church is, even when it comes to things like health care. There are probably a lot of churches right now who have healthcare professionals who are out of work because they've lost their jobs due to mandates. Can you mobilize a team of healthcare individuals who can maybe go and do some checks on some of the elderly people who are living on their own, go and, and you know take some blood readings, make sure they're okay with their meds, make sure they're feeling well, all that kind of stuff. And just start somewhere, fight the legal battles for freedom of healthcare But there might be opportunities for the church to do more than they're currently doing. And I'll just leave it at that because there's a lot of legalities surrounding that. But you might be surprised at what a community can do. So all of this has to do with, I think churches need to take greater responsibility to strengthen the individual households that comprise the church. Right. So whether that is helping them with educational choices, helping them with post-secondary choices, helping them in careers for their kids, helping them. If there's a guy who's working a dead end job, especially in a government job and doesn't want he wants to unplug from the system and he wants to get a job with a Christian business owner, there should be Christian business owners within your church who are actively looking to hire people from within the church. This Mm -hmm. is part of what being a community together looks like.
1: Yeah, we're making ourselves more and more like a cult. But <laughs> yeah. in a good way. Yeah. So, well, scripture yeah.
0: says to let everyone think of the needs of others. That's right? so that's, that. that's the problem. When we start looking at ourselves in zero, it's like, oh, how do I get more money? How do I do this or that? It's like, no, yeah. how do you help others? And you will naturally become, you know, yeah. viable in life. I,
1: I often think in Acts, when uh, the, the early up Christians sold everything and gave it to the church, I don't think that's prescriptive of how we. Are supposed to live, right. live. It's descriptive of how they were living. But I think the equity of, of what they were doing is prescriptive, that they were meeting each other's needs. And they found a way to create a, an economy around the church. So the church became the most important thing in all their lives because it was everything in their lives were tied to it. Their yeah. economy, their their businesses, their education, their friendships, relationships marriages, everything was their spiritual, obviously their spirituality. It's all tied to that congregation because it is a family. And so like, how does this work? What's step one for you? I don't know. You're at a different church than than I'm at, but what does this look like for us? It looks like finding all those needs, all those places where we've abdicated our authority and we take it back by giving people the skills, running seminars at your church of how to finance homesteading, gardens, so, like yeah. we just said, we should be off the state. Well, one of the things that the state does yeah. is they feed the poor for us. Well, they shouldn't be feeding the poor for us. so we what do we do instead? We opened a community market that we now provide for the poor right, but they provide for us in the in those single moms in our church as much, if not more, than we provide for our out because we have to take care of the body first so that we're healthy enough to take care of the The people. Well,
2: and and that goes into even, so we're talking about unplugging from the world system. Like, I think Christians get bad at this, especially conservative Christians. Like, we, we, I think uh, we
1: just get overwhelmed.
2: Yeah, but but I mean I think we also like complaining, right? And so you see, like all you have to do is go on Facebook and and go to all your conservative Christian friends, and they're 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 posting articles about GMO foods, and and I mean I don't know if you guys saw this, we talked about it a few is weeks the ago about is that the so, crickets? Yeah, like the cricket factories, J- and the, General Motors foods, what? smart
1: smart cities, <laughs> yeah. um, um, like.
2: smart cities. Yeah, we get upset about. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this. I think we talked about it several weeks ago about uh, Bill Gates talking about using mRNA technology in animals that we're eating and and all this kind of stuff, and so. We like to complain about all the stupid stuff the government's doing but if are we, we are but if we aren't relying on the government for our beef Right, like I'll tell you this: I'm never going to eat crickets because I don't go to the supermarket for my food. So <laughs> what's wrong with crickets? <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like they're pretty high in protein there. Uh, uh, so, I mean, obviously, John the Baptist. I don't think he's ever John. the John the Baptist. Obviously, he ate the locusts with a uh, little bit of wild honey. Yeah. Aaron, I think. It was there you go. <laughs> but, <Deep> fried. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think that the point here is like. That means also getting off the system in terms of food shortages and inflation prices and unsafe things yeah. in your foods that shouldn't affect you.
1: You're you're, you're absolutely right. You right. know who didn't complain about COVID? The Amish. Like, yeah, they were
2: laughing about it because
1: yeah. yeah. you know one because they didn't know because they didn't have TVs, but two, <laughs> like, uh, but two they like because they're they're self sufficient, right? They're not upset about the price of gas because they don't use gas. You know right. I mean, I'm not saying Christians sell your car, but the the equity of that is that they don't have to worry about what people are putting into their beef because they're killing their yeah. own cows.
2: What we're trying to say is that the church community sh- should be such that it is strengthening the households that comprise the church. So that the households, individual households that comprise the household of faith ought to be anti-fragile, ought to be bulletproof against a crumbling world around them. So that no matter what happens to gas prices, no matter what happens to food shortages, no matter what happens in the education system, in the public school system, no matter what happens to the interest rates in, in terms of debt and all those things, it doesn't affect us. Why? Because mortgages are held from within. There are wealthy people in our church communities who can be funding. Like, wouldn't it be wonderful if we didn't even require banks? right? Because we have individuals within our church who are actually funding private banks for people within our own communities. If we started thinking about this stuff, and I get it, it's daunting. It's probably something that's not going to be achieved in your lifetime. But that's why the building of the kingdom of God is a multi-generational thing, which means that you can start things now that you might not personally benefit from, and nor will your children, but your grandchildren will, and your great-grandchildren will. I just think we think too small, right? Yeah. If I can just go on a rant for a minute, I think actually a lot of this is a result of the gospel-centered movement. So you look at like the Gospel Coalition and Together for the Gospel and some of these gospel-centered movements in the church. What they tried to do was they tried to boil Christianity down to a ecumenical, small thing that we can all agree on the gospel itself and then they say everything that the church does ought to be gospel centered and what they mean by that is that it ought to be evangelism and preaching of the gospel centered and that's that's all good but what practically happened is we became so narrowly focused on evangelism and the preaching of the gospel that we forgot that discipleship requires caring for the whole person in every facet of their life the gospel touches politics and education and all of these various things The gospel affects how you raise your kids, how you educate your kids, how you handle your finances, how you take dominion of the world and the land and the things that God has mm-hmm. given to you, it mm-hmm. touches all of these areas. So the gospel centered movement truncated the gospel in such a way that it no longer became relevant in all of the areas that we're just talking about. And so the church became okay with the government messing up healthcare and welfare and, and all this stuff because while well, we were just focusing on the gospel,
1: well, all we care about is the atonement, right? right? We forget about the fact that Christ came to introduce a kingdom to the That's world. right. And, and that
2: kingdom is physical and tangible. And and, it, and,
1: and, and and operates different than the world. You that's know what right. I mean? Like so, we,
2: we have a low view of the church. I
0: think in this generation, yeah, absolutely, very low. Yeah. Yeah.
1: If we're gonna preach a gospel that's fully orbed, that it's like, yes, it is the atonement. We yeah, care about it's the not sa- less than that. Like, but it is more. I, I can assure you, every day at our church, people are praying for people's souls to come to Christ. Amen. Yeah. First and foremost, because that's the main. But like, we do also have to worry about the, the kingdom. That once they're saved, they still live. We train them to be like disciples yeah. at that point. They they get so, saved.
2: We baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, After and then, saved, then. <laughs> and then we teach them what obedience mm-hmm. to all the things that Christ has Amen. commanded. And what did Christ command? He taught about marriage. He talked about family. He talked about education. He talked about stewardship. He talked about all of these things. Mm-hmm. That's what obedience looks like, right?
1: Absolutely. So, what does this look like in our church? And Self-admittedly, we're at the baby steps of this. um, that's that's
2: why we're so passionate about talking through this stuff because this is the stage of life that we're in. We're we're coming to these realizations. Yeah, well, five
0: years from now, we could have a massive global fiscal collapse, and this will become a reality. And at least we'll have some mental preparation. Absolutely, talking about.
2: Sin can get you on either side, right? We often say you can fall into the ditch on either side of the road. You can get Christians who get so fearful of what's going on in the world that they actually isolate themselves, and they only worry about building up their own. You talk about prepping, right? You talk about they're they only building up their own bomb shelter. Like, there's a couple of people who, they don't come to our church anymore, but they came a little bit during COVID, during the lockdowns, and they would kind of joke about, well, I'll be set up. And it's like, oh, you got a bunker somewhere? It's like, yeah, but I'm not telling you where it is. Like, just that, that kind of joking of like... I think that there is a fearful tendency that wants to build up self. And I think the radical individualism within the church is part of why we don't have the kinds of communities that we're talking about right now. Because people care about building their own household and their own kingdom at the expense of building up the kingdom and the household of households. I think it becomes far too daunting in the individual impact you can have on transforming the culture is minimal if you're only thinking individualistically. But when you're thinking communally and you're part of a a church that's thinking this way and where the leadership is leading this way, where thoughts and ingenuity and dreaming big is praised, then I think the church can begin to move in a direction where we can make a far bigger impact on the culture around us than we could individually at all. Mm
1: Amen. Amen. I think as church leaders, if you're listening to this and you're an elder or a pastor or a key lay person in the church, what does this look like? I think it looks like, let's stop playing church the way—I'm probably going to get myself in trouble here. Let's stop playing church the way that just we've been trained to play church. So, like, we have men's ministries, we have women's ministries, we have X small group. Like, all those things are good in their own right, but wouldn't it be better if those things were focused on, like, okay, well, let's train men to be men in their homes, We've just been moaned, like, where are the skills lacking in our men? Well, let's teach them that. Yeah. And we're doing that because, first and foremost, we want to reflect Christ, and Christ is perfect in those areas. Yeah. So it's still men's ministry. We're still teaching biblical things to men. We're just, It's being very practical about those things. And we connect the dots for people to, like, why do I want you to be in a small group? So you can disciple people in your small group. Our small group shouldn't just be a, a group of people that are about my age in the exact same life with me. No, no, it should it should mirror the church. And so, so I sh- you should have an old person in your church. You should have a widow in your small group. If yeah. your church has that, it should reflect that.
0: So we should rotate our small groups a bit. I heard Nate has the best one. No, that's not true. <laughs> sure.
1: he, he he currently ranks fourth on my wins above Four. replacement. Um, like uh, just Chris like, it
2: boils <laughs> everything down to uh, one, one one number.
1: Uh, I just mean like we we should be sorry. You want to cut me. Like that's the focus of how ministry should be. It shouldn't just be just going through the motions to check boxes that we've, oh, our church has this X yeah. program. It should be like, well, if we're telling you to be self-sufficient, well, let's start teaching people how to garden. Yeah. If we yeah. want if you want to start reaching the poor, let's teach people how to reach the poor.
0: Well, we you live in such like, a paradoxical community because like the world we live in teaches individualism and yet it's very socialist, yeah, right? So it's yeah. so, it's so right, bizarre. Yeah. It's like remain individual and yet, you know, Yep. In a social system, and it's such a strange, bizarre land in which we live, because then we're afraid to sort of understand how we can work together as a church. And you're right; it, the church is not just about preaching the gospel it's about this community that is separate a city on a hill That's god's right. children who shine yeah. as lights in a dark world and showing what That's what right. the gospel manifests okay. in our lives practically well
2: and even that like we would think like okay well if the world is saying be radically individual and yet be part of the social system remember that every lie is just a perversion of god's truth mm. and so what god calls us to be is is individuals but self-ruled individuals not needy radical individualistic people but self-ruled individuals who are part of a community. You come into that community with something to offer that community, you bring your gift, your talent, your whatever, and you come into that community and your presence strengthens it, but you also draw upon the strength of that community in areas where you're weak. And that's the that's the beautiful part.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The thing that, as you were talking there, Chris, that I, I think is maybe a, a good place for us to land on, there might be some people, you said, if you're a church leader, there might be some people listening to this episode who are part of a church that's maybe a little bit more, ministry is more difficult. And we, we, we know of churches, we have friends in churches that are, are fighting the LGBT stuff. They're fighting all kinds of controversies in the church. Here's what I would say. We talked about David, was that last time? And his idleness that caused him to sin. Mm-hmm. I think that churches that are idle are far more prone to petty controversies and internal squabbles that will tear the churches apart absolutely why is it that some elders boards are so wrapped up debating the nuances of lgbt acceptance mm. scripture is abundantly it's clear not even on a discussion it's no not even a that. discussion yeah. it is baffling to think that there would be any church that could honestly examine the scriptures and fall anywhere but understanding that god created men and women differently with different roles and that Marriages between one man That's and one just woman. That's tempting, God, at it's that just, point. Yeah, absolutely. That is clear. Be on the agenda. Why is it though that they become conversations? Why is it that there, there's this pontificating about right. like whether or not the scriptures really condemn? Like, did God really say? Yes, he did. And he said it clearly. But the reason those conversations are even happening is because we have idle churches. They're not on mission. They're not Mm -hmm. doing mission. They're not doing the work that churches are called to do. And so they foster internal squabbling because when we are idle, we are prone to sin and we're prone to petty sins. And so what I would say is that churches that are on mission together, things get worked out. And you know what? Our church right now you might think that we're just pumping it up like it's this beautiful mecca and oh, and, and it's I a love that church yeah. it's it's amazing it's our mecca. but like it's eclectic. It's messy. We have different people. We have Presbyterians and Pentecostals and Baptists and CRC folk and unchurched and reformed Catholics and all Catholics, all just, yeah. Yeah. All who have come together and, and and God knit us together during a very difficult time where we were essentially, you know, a cast in the rest of society. And that's what knit us together. And there would be all kinds of opportunities for our church to just be torn apart at the seams because of theological differences, ecclesiological differences, ideological differences, whatever. And yet, don't get me wrong, there's conflict. But that's not what's tearing us apart. Why? Because there's a goal, because there's a mission, and everybody's on that mission together. And what happens when you're on mission together is that I am less busy trying to change the theological minds of the people I'm doing mission with, and I'm more focused on doing the mission with them. And guess what? The same spirit that resides in you, which is the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, resides in them if they are a true believer. And that spirit is called the spirit of truth that leads us into all truth. Sanctification is amplified and quickened while people are on mission together. And so what I would just say, if you want unity within your church, get on mission. Get doing this stuff. If you want to stop squabbling about things that Scripture is clear on, Get on mission together. Get doing stuff together because those things iron themselves out because the whole time you're doing these big, daunting, cultural, strengthening households things, guess what else you're doing? You're gathering for praise. You're gathering for worship. You're gathering for prayer. The Word of God is being preached. And all that time, those who have the indwelling spirit are being conformed to the image of Christ, which means that unity is happening along the way. Amen.
1: So one of the best theological days I've ever had in terms of conversations was the day that a couple guys from the church came over to like help me pump sewage out of my basement. And it's like, we're doing something very practical, but what do we do all day? We talked about job was a very crappy job. Um, I was about to make the other joke and I was like, can't say that pop, but, but no, it was like, why? Because when Christians get together, even when we're working with our hands, what are we doing? We're talking about the gospel. So when we're on mission together out, on the streets, sharing the gospel, whatever the, the what do you think we're doing in between? The, we're talking theology. We have this weird compartmentalization of things. Mm-hmm. Like we're like, oh, we have to sit down in a meeting to iron through our differences on baptism. And it's like, no, no, me and Jordan talk about baptism when we're walking up to pass out tracks on the street. And then we stop, we have that. And then we continue on. Yeah, we, co- we need to like,
0: reclaim the city of London. I was just driving down Dundas street and they just built a brand new safe injection site. We need to go down there. I know. I saw It's that. Isn't that brutal? A lot of Christians and just say, look, look, we're calling everyone repentance in humility and love and help these people to see the light, right? Because right now the state is actually doing such a disservice. It's killing them. It's it is, telling them yeah. it's actually making them perpetual victims to what is very yeah. sinful and was once, you know, punishable yeah. by, uh, incarceration. Yeah, so I, yeah. I don't know to what degree we can go down there. I would love to do it with the go teams, just fill up the streets, King street, Dundas street, you know, Queen street in uh, downtown London and preach the word down there.
2: Amen. That's what we do. That's what uh, go teams are all about. And I think that a lot of the things that keep churches from fulfilling their mission get ironed out, as you're saying, when when people just get get to work. And community is is an inescapable concept. People are we're created for community. And so if people's churches aren't fulfilling their communal needs, then they find sports fans to commune with they find all kinds of different communities that would uh vie for their attention to meet and fulfill those needs so community is inevitable so be the kind of community that uh that the scriptures command your church to be amen all right we're good we're we'll, we'll see if we that was fun yeah all right see you next time
1: bye guys